0: Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike. Well Stacy and I enjoy Christmas in Beirut, there's a lot to enjoy during this season, isn't there? The lights, the decorations around the city, the Christmas carols, the manger scenes. It's possible to look at the manger scenes, though, through the eyes of sentimentality and think, oh, isn't that cute? A baby, so sweet and all those animals, so peaceful. What a nice story, right? It is an amazing story, but it becomes even more astonishing when we consider the why of the Christmas story. Why would Jesus leave his home in heaven to come to the earth? Why would God become human like us? And why would he come as a baby? Before we dig into these questions, let's pray and ask God to reveal himself to us through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing Christmas season when we celebrate and remember Jesus coming to the earth. Help us this morning to see the reasons and how it changed everything. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, you can also follow along on the screens. Hebrews chapter 2, starting with verse 14. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted." This is the word of the Lord. I would invite you to refer to the last page of your bulletin. You'll find the sermon outlined there this morning. The title for today's message is, Jesus was born in the flesh to destroy death. Jesus was born in the flesh to destroy death. We're going to trace three main points as we go through this passage in Hebrews chapter 2. Number one, Jesus being God, also took on a human body. Number two, Jesus came to die in order to conquer the devil and death. And number three, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. First of all, Jesus being God also took on a human body. The theological word for this is incarnation, which means taking on flesh. Look at verse 14a. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. The children here are us, those whom God has called to himself and gives to his son, Jesus. Since we are human, having flesh and blood, Jesus shared in these. This is the incarnation Jesus took on flesh and blood. Well, how did this come to be? The Bible reveals that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have eternally existed as one God in three persons. We call this the Trinity. God has also coexisted as Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect harmony and love together. It was their plan that God the Son would take on humanity and enter our world. Our scripture reading this morning from Matthew chapter 1 said that the Holy Spirit miraculously conceived in Mary a male child. Even though Mary was a virgin, it was a miracle what the Holy Spirit did in Mary's womb. So God the Son grew as a baby in Mary, was born and they named him Jesus. He was born flesh and blood. Jesus had complete human biology. Cells, DNA, physical characteristics. He wasn't an angel, but fully human. He experienced the same things we do. Learning, growing up as a child. He had a mind, he had intellect, and he experienced the same emotions that we do. All without sinning. Can you imagine being Jesus' sibling? You'd never be able to get him in trouble with the parents because he never did anything wrong. The incarnation means that the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who had existed from eternity past, who is the creator of the universe, entered our time and space, taking on human nature. Jesus was 100% divine. He was God, and he was 100% human. Not 50-50 or half human and half divine, but fully God, and fully man. Jesus looked like an average man. He didn't have a halo above his head or a shiny face like some of the pictures show him. Isaiah says that he didn't have any impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He did have to veil his divine nature, though, or else no one would be able to see him and be able to bear it. Jesus held back his full glory and subjected himself to living as a mere man. Well, any illustration of the incarnation will fall short, no doubt. But one way to consider it is to imagine an author who writes a story and then inserts himself into the story, confining his existence to the words on the page. Jesus entered our story He, the Almighty Creator, came to His creation as a lowly creature. This is the mystery of Christmas, isn't it? Now, we are limited in our understanding cognitively how this could happen, but we can fully believe it by faith because this is what Jesus has, or what God has revealed to us in His Word. The Apostle John sums it up this way. He says that the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. All the religions in the world tell us how we can try and get to God, but the message of Christmas is that Jesus came down to reach us. If God wanted us to be just his subjects to rule over, he wouldn't have had to come down, wouldn't he? But he wants friends. He wants brothers, sisters, children. So he became like us. Our second point brings us to the why. Why did Jesus become human? Hebrews 2 says that Jesus came to die in order to conquer the devil and death. Look at the second half of verse 14. Notice the words, so that. These are important. The writer of Hebrews is giving the reasons why Jesus took on flesh and blood. 14b, So that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Throughout the New Testament we see Jesus doing many things in his life, don't we? He was a masterful teacher, he cared for people, he healed people, but the main purpose of his incarnation of coming to the earth was to die in his divine nature alone, God the Son couldn't die. God can't die, right? God the Son is not like a Marvel superhero like Thor who has godlike powers but can die. No, God the Son couldn't die. So he had to take on a human nature in addition to his divine nature in order to be born on the earth and then to die in our place. We need to see the totality of who Jesus was and his purposes. He's the divine son, the second person of the Trinity, who has existed from eternity past. He was the baby born in a stable nearly 2,000 years ago. He was the one who taught about the kingdom and healed and cared for people. And he was the one who was killed on a cross, rising back to life three days later. This was God's plan. Jesus didn't come in the flesh and then as an afterthought, as a plan B, God allowed him to die. It was the purpose all along. Look again at verse 14b. So that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. Who is the devil? The Bible tells us that the devil or Satan was an angel. But he rebelled against God, taking some of the other angels with him. So now the devil and his demons are in complete opposition to God. The Bible teaches that the devil tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. And they sinned. They chose to disobey God. They chose to go in a way not giving honor and glory to God, what he was due. This brought about the fall, which affected the whole world. And one implication of the fall is that we are now subject to death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Death was not part of God's original plan for this world. It wasn't part of his original design, but it was brought on by our disobedience, our sin. The devil is a deceiver. He's an adversary. And here in verse 14, the devil is said, to hold the power of death in that he tempts men to sin, and the result is death. Satan loves death. He's called the accuser. He stands with the record of our sins and accuses us before God. He knows that God must deal with our sin, and he doesn't want God to show us any grace or mercy. As humans, we live under a fear of death. Look at verse 15. Those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Whether openly or subconsciously, everyone has a fear of death. It's understandable, isn't it? It's hard for us to face this reality. And we sometimes ask questions. What about the bad things that I've done in my life? Will I be judged on them when I die? It's in our conscience. There is something in us that tells us that we will be held accountable when we die. Well, we become experts at trying to avoid death, don't we? It's hard for us to imagine that we will someday die, and so we try to avoid death by staying alive as long as possible through good health practices, which is good, but it's inevitable we all will die. Or we look to other solutions. We try fixing ourselves inwardly so we feel like we'll be ready when we die. Or we just ignore death or distract ourselves from anything to keep our minds busy so that we don't have to face reality. So when Jesus came to take on flesh, he willingly faced death on the cross. And the result is that he destroyed the devil and his power over death. This word destiny here in verse 14 doesn't mean that the devil is no longer in existence. He very much is and will one day face his judgment from God. He's destroyed in the sense that his destiny is sure and Jesus has triumphed over him. Let's see how the victory of Jesus is reflected in another passage in the New Testament. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 starting with verse 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in Him. Brothers and sisters, this is us. We were dead in our trespasses. We had a debt. We were under the judgment of death and the wrath of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, He erased the debt, and He took it away by nailing it to the cross. Jesus took away the one weapon which the devil has against us, His power over death. We are freed from the captivity of the power of death. We are free from the fear of death. Jesus disarmed the devil and triumphed over him. Jesus destroyed the devil's weapon to damn us and delivers us from the slavery of fear of death. Brothers and sisters, we are the freest of all people because Jesus has delivered us and has overcome the power of the devil and death. This doesn't mean that we take death lightly. There is a real sting of death, but we can experience grief with hope because of Jesus. During these holidays, those of us who have lost loved ones often feel the pain of loss in a greater way. It's often crushing on us. But take hope that in grieving, those we have lost who are in Christ we will see them again. We're assured of that. While Jesus is the conqueror of our greatest enemy, Jesus overcame death by entering the death we fear. First John 3, 8 says, The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. This was the purpose of Jesus' incarnation, to die for us. And he did this willingly with purpose, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's a Latin phrase, Christus Victor, which means Christ the victor. It speaks to this reality that when Jesus died on the cross, he conquered the devil and death, the evil powers which mankind was captive to. And in achieving victory over sin, death, and the devil, Jesus didn't simply do this for himself. But God raised Jesus from the dead so that all us who are in Christ are also assured of being raised from the dead. He secured our victory. That is why Jesus' resurrection is so important to us. We will face death, but we will be resurrected. Believer, Your future after death is not some disembodied consciousness where you just morph into the universe, but a new resurrected body. We will eat and drink in the kingdom. We will learn and build. We will sing. We will have real bodies. Jesus' incarnation and resurrection remind us of the goodness of God's creation, including our physical bodies and the glories of God. That await us. Let's continue. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Jesus' salvation is not for heavenly beings. They don't need saving, but for humans, specifically for Abraham's offspring which refers not to the narrow category of ethnicity, but to all those who have been chosen by God to be his people, all those who receive Jesus by faith. Verse 16 shows God's willingness to relate with us. He reaches out to us. We are the ones who moved away from God. We chose to live our lives independent from him and his ways, but he condescends He comes down, He reaches out, He initiates. He does not leave us helpless, but He helps us. This brings us to our third point. Jesus gives us the kind of help we need most. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Look at verse 17. Therefore, He had to be like His brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. The high priest in the Old Testament made sin offerings for the people so that their sins could be forgiven. Keep in mind that the high priest came from among the people. He was one of them. And as a high priest, he represented the people before God. So, Jesus became human to represent humanity before God. He became like us in every way so that he could represent us before God the Father. Jesus was affected by sin. He lived in a broken world with broken people. Jesus was sinned against, but Jesus himself was without sin which is why he was able to make atonement for the sins of the people by suffering and dying on the cross. To make atonement simply means that Christ takes away God's wrath towards us on account of our sin. This could be shocking, though, can't it? To think about God being angry or God's wrath. Yes, God is holy and our sins against him are that bad. We've been talking about this in our community groups the last couple of weeks that we're worse off than we really thought. Our sins are an affront to a holy God. They are an attack on His character. Essentially, we have committed cosmic treason. To rescue us from His own wrath, God put forward His Son to absorb the punishment that we deserved. When Christ died on the cross, He was Perfectly innocent. His death was to bear the guilt and punishment of our sins, not his. So Jesus is not only the high priest who makes an offering on our behalf, but he himself is the offering. Hebrews 7 says of Jesus, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. Halas, it's enough, right? Jesus' punishment on our behalf demonstrates that God is just and faithful in dealing with sin and merciful in dealing with sinners, us. Because he took the penalty on our behalf, we no longer have to take it on ourselves. If we've been united to him by faith, his death was effectively our death because he rose again and conquered death, we too will be resurrected one day. His glory will be our glory. And this is the good news of salvation, the miracle, the mystery. There's nothing greater, my friends. Jesus removed God's righteous anger from us, so there is now no condemnation against us who are in Christ Jesus. How do you know if you are in Christ Jesus? That's an important question. How do you know if you're in Christ Jesus? Well, it begins with an acknowledgment that we are in such a sorry state that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Our sin is so horrendous that we could only be rescued from it by God himself. The gospel is good news because it frees us to say that, yeah, Actually, I am that bad. But there is hope because Jesus saves sinners. He reaches out and he brings us in. Jesus' incarnation required humility. He voluntarily took on the limits of human flesh from his confinement in his mother's womb through the death that he was nailed on the cross. Jesus invites us to humility as well a recognition of our own limits that we cannot save ourselves. We must trust in him. When our sin is forgiven in Christ, the power of the devil to destroy us in death is void. The wrath of God is turned away and the devil is disarmed. We can then stand righteous in God before him in Jesus Christ by faith. Today we sang, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Jesus is our king whether in death or in life. And I pray that we will embrace this with our hearts this Christmas season. May we be secure in these truths from Hebrews chapter 2. That Jesus, being fully God, took on human flesh for us. That Jesus, Christus Victor, defeated death and the devil for us. That Jesus, our merciful and faithful high priest, paid the penalty of sin for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we often get caught up in the festivities of the season and forget the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth. Help us this Christmas season to ponder and to cherish in our hearts the wonder of Christmas that you sent your only Son for us. For we pray in his matchless name. Amen.